Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. Calling all high school and college teachers. You asked us for transcripts, resources, and advice on how to teach the subjects we talk about. We heard you and created Inside 254 Teaching Guides. High quality resources are expensive and we know you don't have much money. So we priced our guides cheap. Nothing is more than two bucks because we want to help you teach what we teach. Toxic Masculinity and the first Native American Myth-Busting Guide are now available, and more subjects will roll out as fall semester progresses. You get lecture notes in the form of a narrative transcript of our discussion of the subject, ready-to-print handouts of writing topics, discussion questions, and a bibliography resource list with active links that work. Go to TeachersPayTeachers.com or download the TPT app and search for Inside 254. Download your own Inside 254 Teaching Guide today. Today's talk around the table is about the recent SCOTUS decision being called the Janus decision. And Amanda is going to take point on this because she was our union president for two years and is much more versed in, uh, you know, all the intricacies of, of labor matters. So I'm going to ask questions that you might have, and we're going to learn a lot about this, I'm sure. So, Amanda, what is it in the first place? Like, what is this decision? I know it's a big deal and I kind of know how it impacts me, but what 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 is it? This decision is actually the overturning of a, of a case from 1977 called Abood versus Detroit Board of Education, uh, which just in a nutshell basically said that it was legal and absolutely within the First Amendment rights for a public sector union to have mandatory agency fees or a fair share fees, right? So this... Uh, what does Janus, that mean? What's a fair share? I'm getting there. Okay, good. Okay. Right. So Mark Janus was the person, The he's an Illinois, he was an Illinois state government employee, and he was put into the case after it had been filed. I believe it was the governor of Illinois that originally filed the case in February 2015, and then there was some stuff about, oh, he can't be the one that files a case, and so they had to find an actual mm, employee. Person. Okay. So they found this guy, Mark Janice, a conservative, former Illinois, he was at the time an Illinois state government employee. So they had this lawsuit and it was against AFSCME, which stands for American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. We have AFSCME yes, on our campus, do. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, the, it was a lawsuit against AFSCME's mandatory fair share fees. A fair share fee is where you are still considered a member of the union, but you're a fair share member, and a percentage of a regular member's dues is automatically taken out of your paycheck in order to help pay for the collective bargaining. Because the idea of it yeah. is that you're still benefiting yes, from the collective bargaining agreements. Right. And so the work that the union's doing on your behalf is still happening and you're still benefiting from it. So the idea is you're paying your fair share, right? right. So, so it's a percentage. It's a percentage. It's not, so you're, it's, you and can't it's low opt out, too. right? No. It's low. But you're still required to recognize the fact that you are benefiting from the collective action of the union. Right. And you don't, I mean, well, you didn't have an option. So, 
for instance, on our campus, 97% of our faculty are full union members. So our union dues, um, I forget the exact percentages. I knew that I knew what they were when I was the chapter president, but it's, I know it's, I'm going to say it, say it was like 1.2% of our salary, every paycheck comes out for union our full member union dues. Cause you and I are both full union members that would go to, um, our union APSCUF. Our fair share members, their fair share fee was something like 1.01%. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really close, but mm-hmm. it was I think where I worked slightly in public less. ed, it was 80%. I think that was the number for our fair. I don't know who determines that number, yeah. but for when I was a union rep, it was 80%. Okay. So uh, this idea of paying fair shares, so fair share fees. Janice's or this the Janice case argument was that mandatory fees are unconstitutional because they are used by the unions to lobby politicians and to contribute to political causes that he personally doesn't support. Mm-hmm. The union's argument, so AFSME's argument was that well, wait, I'm just like, I, there's a political action committee, but I give money to that. That's separate from my dues. That's us. I, okay. I thought that applied to all unions, okay. but evidently the, evidently what our union does is different. Is a, a more above board, it seems. Yeah. Cause I always thought those were there's separate a, things. Okay. I did too. Okay. And I, when I looked into it, I realized our union actually has an advantage here because none, none, not a, not a penny of the money that we uh, pay to APSCUF for our member dues goes to political action. There right. is actually a political action committee, the CAP committee. Yes. We can we can contribute. We can opt into that. But you have to opt into right. that. Right. And it's money that is we are voluntarily signing up to provide in order to that is earmarked for political action for lobbying. And I contribute same with it's same I with mean, PSEA when I was in PSEA, which is the Pennsylvania State Education Association. Same thing. Like you had to opt into the political part that was separate from okay. the bargaining. So okay. evidently so that's, that's not, not the case. case. Evidently right. that's not the case with all unions, huh. which I okay. found through research. Um, so the union's argument was that Janice, he should pay, he should pay partial or his fair share because he benefits from collective bargaining negotiations. Now, the Supreme Court did agree with the union's position in 1977 in that old case. Mm-hmm. So now we get to what just happened. 2018. 2018, the Supreme Court overturned that old case Hmm. and voted in favor of Janice. It was a 5-4 decision on June 27, 2018. They agreed with Janice, Mm -hmm. ruling that public sector unions can no longer collect fair share fees or part that partial percentage from employees that the bargaining unit represents, but who choose not to join the union. So essentially, Mm -hmm. they're saying people who are in that bargaining unit who don't want to be members of the union don't have to pay the union anything, but they still benefit from all the work the union does in their behalf. So basically what, what's been talked about in some of the articles that I've read that are very pro-union is, so we're talking about freeloaders now. So they're no longer going to have to pay the union anything. They just get the benefit without So if paying. we talk about our context, you just said 97% mm-hmm. are full members, mm-hmm. and then there were the 3% fair share. Yep. So what this means is those 3% will probably not pay fair share dues anymore. They won't. Right. They won't. They won't. Because they, okay. But they will still probably benefit. They They will still benefit from the collective bargaining done by the union. Right. So if status quo, like if everything kind of remained the same, what would happen to our union, for example, is that 3% of those people, those dues would fall away. Right. 
that doesn't seem tragic, but no. there are much more, there were much bigger consequences here and ideological consequences that I'm sure we're going to get to. Yeah. So obviously this is, this is union busting one-on-one. Yes, this exactly. is what, this is what the right wing wants. And I'm, right. I'm not going to get Donald into Trump the, wants. all the, the, all of the background, but th- this was a well-funded effort. It was it, the reason why they were able to put this case forward is because groups like the Koch brothers and people like that contributed money to the legal fees to make this happen. I mean, so this is a, I mean, you don't have to take my word for it. It's not a conspiracy. You can, it's well documented in the public. Go look, go look up this case and look up the history of it. And it's, it's something that the conservative right wing um, money people want. So right. they, they would own this. This they, is yes. not, this is not them like sounding like Mr. Burns, you know, to them. This is like, they would own this, this is not something they're going to hide. Right. So that's, <laughs> so that helps me understand like what it, means and what it is so that's, you know what it is that's so what the does this mean for the like right. the world what the janus decision means is basically this was a win for right-wing conservatives i mean there's no way other there's no other way to put this other than that it's definitely a win for the right wing so i found on open secrets they actually have a, a story that they wrote here's why the supreme court's right to work ruling is a win for conservatives oh, i hate so, that terminology i know right to work Again, we like definitions. So right to work laws, uh, right to work is the opposing or banning of the closed shop or the union shop. Um, the legal definition of right to work is of relating to or being a law prohibiting labor agreements that require all employees to be union members. Even if we had people like on our campus who weren't union members, they were still considered members. They were considered fair share members, mm-hmm. right? So we had our full members and we had our fair share members, but everybody's essentially a member. And everybody that got the same now. protections. And like everybody, if that fair share, yes. me- share member needed to file a grievance or yep, had an issue, they would get representation. They would get representation just like anybody else. They so there, was no, uh, there was no hierarchy or delineation between those. Everybody no. fell under the same umbrella that's right they had access to the health and welfare fund like our vision dental benefits they have access to retrenchment rights like we if we get laid off or there's uh elimination of a department or merging of something and somebody's job is now eliminated they would have the right to basically get uh first dibs on any so these equivalent position in another university or even in your own university before a job ad even goes out i mean so we have we have having your cake and eating it too yeah this is this is what a fair share member is having your cake and eating it too is what this sounds like pretty much so okay so what does it mean i just wanted to pull some quotes to talk about what some well some unions are talking about so this open secrets story says the ruling against labor marked a major victory for anti-union groups and conservative donors who bankrolled janice's litigation in hopes of stifling union influence and they're expecting that this will hurt primarily Democratic candidates who do receive the bulk of labor union contributions. According to Open Secrets, total labor sector contributions have consistently topped $135 million in each election since 2012, mm. according to their analysis. Spending peaked in 2016 when labor poured nearly $217 million into elections nationwide. Most of that money went to Democrats and AFSCME, which is the union that Janice was against. AFSME itself has historically backed Democratic candidates. So are you... This is not a secret, right? Like this, again, Democrats think unions are good, usually. Republicans 
hate unions. Generally hate so them. like it makes sense. Like this is not this is not a anti-American or something. It's just like okay, this, this, this shouldn't be a surprise exam- to yeah, anybody. Exactly. Janice's point was, well, the AFSCME is backing Democratic candidates. I'm not a Democrat. I don't like Democrats. I don't want to. I don't want my fair share dues going to lobbying for Democratic candidates. I mean, that was literally his position. Oh, and by the way, there are a lot of anti-choice people. He who make just the same retired. Argument from his position oh, with his beautiful with his beautiful be- benefits that were <laughs> oh, union negotiated pension and he has now post-retirement picked up a position at the illinois Insti- policy illinois policy institute which is the conservative think tank that oversaw his case mm-hmm. so not only does he get his union negotiated pension Mm-hmm. the benefit that his union that he was against negotiated for him. He now also gets to be paid by the conservative people who helped him win the case. So. There's a lot of hand-waving happening right now <laughs> from Amanda, as it should I be. I don't so this like is... freeloaders. Okay. Right. So like, oh. I, I wanted to start with our own union. Our The APSCUF statement, like the official union, our APSCUF official statement was today's Janus versus AFSCME decision in which the Supreme Court ruled against public sector unions is an attack on unions and working people, but we remain united. We stand with our union sisters and brothers. We are APSCUF proud. And they, they're suggesting we do things like post a, hold a sign that says hashtag APSCUF proud and hold up, you know, union type signs and, and use the hashtag APSCUF proud and tag them and, you know, show your solidarity. And like, you know, the idea of saying, you know, I'm a union member, I'm with my union, you know, really promote that. And I think our overall focus, um, at least from the state union, is, from what I understand, is going to be focused on membership and building mm-hmm. membership and things. And then I went and looked to see what the um, the AFT, uh, mm-hmm. American w- Federation of Teachers, what they said. And um, their president, Randy Weingarten, she said, this is a dark day in U.S. jurisprudence, a day when the thirst for power trampled the needs of communities and the people who serve them. The dissenting justices saw this case for what it really was, a warping and weaponizing of the First Amendment absent any evidence or reason to hurt working people. Not only was 40 years of settled law well within the mainstream of First Amendment law, it had been affirmed six times and applied to other cases, upholding bar fees for lawyers and student activity fees at public colleges. So it was like the compulsory mm-hmm. fee, right? Yeah. And now this is, opens up the door for any compulsory fee now mm-hmm. to be questioned and mm-hmm. overturned and eliminated, right? Not just, it's like, think about any compulsory fee so that you might have to So it's your First Amendment right to not to participate not in the in activity it. fee at your college? That's right. <laughs> You got it. Good news for colleges. Sarcasm. Um, She said, she goes on, this case was nothing more than a blatant political attack against working Americans in favor of the wealthy and powerful. Today's decision throws a national spotlight on unions and provides a moment of unprecedented opportunity for us to recommit Mm -hmm. to our union and add new members. So it sounds like the Mm -hmm. AFT has like a similar, like they're going to focus on members and reinforcing membership. Support for labor unions has risen to its highest level in years and public employees, including educators, health professionals, and public safety workers, are more determined than ever to stick together. So I hope that that is true because, remember, last year we had um, strikes by teachers in West Virginia and Arizona, places Mm -hmm. that don't have unions, and they stood together in solidarity in order to force a better deal with management. So, you know, maybe this not all is lost. And I found an article, uh, an opinion piece, written by a former fair share member of AFSCME in Illinois. Oh. Her name's Erica Holst. Mm-hmm. And she wrote this um, the title. on the Illinois Times. 
And I just I just pulled some quotes from her piece because again, this is someone who was a fair share member very recently. And this is what she wrote. Although I don't believe, as Mr. Janice does, that paying fair share dues, fees paid to the union by non-union employees, infringes on my First Amendment rights. I also don't think that unions are perfect. I've heard all the arguments against unions, that they make this country less competitive, that higher costs of union salaries and benefits are passed on to consumers and taxpayers, that they unfairly protect incompetent workers. And yet... I joined the union. So she she had some somebody come on knocking on her door and said, would you consider going from fair share to full? And she agreed. She said, I joined the union because despite its flaws, it is an organization that is dedicated to advocating for the rights and well-being of working people. And I am a working person. I am fully cognizant of the fact that the quality of my salary, benefits, health care, and pension are 100% due to the fact that a union negotiated for them on my behalf, and that if I want to continue enjoying good benefits in the future, I will need a union to advocate for them each time the contract is up for renegotiation. And then at the end of her piece, she says, the union is there for working people. Even Mr. Janice, whose lawsuit weakened the ability to bargain collectively for millions of American workers, will go on to retire with a comfortable pension and full health care benefits negotiated for him by the very union he took to court. And I hope he thinks about that every time he cashes a pension check. That's her parenthetical. Mm. In this day and age when the middle class is being squeezed, wages are stagnant, Prospects are shrinking, our collective wealth is being funneled upward to make the rich richer, and wealthy special interests are doing their best to undermine collective bargaining. It's time for working people to be there for their unions. Labor unions aren't just for you. They are you. Your voice, amplified in collective strength with thousands of people just like you, it's time to opt in. So thank you, Erica, for writing that piece and saying it more eloquently than I could. It's beautiful. I wanted to move also to why our listeners yeah, should why, care. Why the listeners out there that aren't in a union or right. you know maybe don't feel connected to labor issues, like why do they care? Right. Why should they care? So you heard me talk about the compulsory fee thing, Mm -hmm. right? So anybody who's a lawyer, there was something I read on SCOTUS blog that was talking about there's apparently a mandatory fee for the bar, Mm. and apparently now that that won't be able to be mandatory. I mean, things like that, things like what you just Mm -hmm. said, like a compulsory fee would be a student activity fee at a university where all students have to pay this fee. Well, if it's a compulsory fee, and that's a compulsory fee, it's no longer right, it's like basically a legal fee. Right. It's no longer legal. It goes into a pot to make sure the technology on a campus works. And now if students are like, well, I'm being violated by having to pay it, they're still going to benefit from all the technology on the campus. Right. So that that's one aspect of it, right? So if you're in a position or if you're in an organization or, you know, and of course the viability of any organization, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's why whatever the bar is, they, they have these mandatory fees. Like if you're going to be a lawyer, this is one just one of the things you have to do. Well, if they... I would imagine medicine. How are they going to function? Too. Yeah. How are they going to function without those fees? Because if everybody opts out, that thing is going to go away. 
<laughs> like right. it can't because the you, individuals think oh well now i'm going to save all this money but structurally the the, the structure is not going to be upheld and then the bar is not going to exist and then that's a problem for everybody for everybody because if there's no uh check or balance on who's actually a good lawyer who's qualified that's i mean right you can see <laughs> this kind of spins out of control also there's this aspect of the first amendment so this is according to one writer on the scotus blog alice o'brien she's a general counsel for national education association um, and that association did file an amicus brief in support of the union in mm -hmm. the janice versus AFSCME. and she's she wrote that this is about politics not the law and she lays it out pretty well in this in this brief piece uh she said a bood which was the case that one Deport, mm -hmm. detroit board of education which has stood since 1977 for over 40 years formed the bedrock of much first amendment law so Oh, this geez. is this, this is isn't not just, just a union issue. This no, is a first amendment. This issue. is you gotta you gotta spread that net much much wider. And I'm not going to go through the cases because there's some of them listed. But if you're interested in some of the cases that have been decided in the past 40 years that cited the Abood versus Detroit Board of Education to like this issue, there it goes well far and wide beyond just whether unions and employees. It's it's way beyond that. It provided the foundation for strong and effective public sector collective bargaining. So, so you know, yes, Abood bringing it back to the is the yeah, Abood decision it's now been reversed. vacated. It's reversed. Okay. It's been it's reversed, done. which is going to affect all the other decisions okay, that so were sort anything of, now that had that as a basis mm -hmm. now could be re-argued. Yep, because that is now a vacated decision. That's mm. right. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to look at that list at some point. Yeah, and so she she ends her piece. She goes. She says, rather than precedent or principle, what appears to drive the Janus majority is barely conce barely concealed animus toward public sector unions and their advocacy. So um, it decries the fact that unions discuss such, quote, sensitive political topics. This is in the written majority. So you can see this in the majority opinion. Such, quote, sensitive political topics as, quote, climate change, the Confederacy, sexual orientation and gender identity, evolution and minority religions. That's a direct quote from the majority opinion. Why union speech on such issues has anything to do with what states choose to allow unions to bargain for in public employment, much less what states choose that fee payers can be charged for that bargaining is never made clear, nor could it be. So the fact that the Janus majority opinion is not about expanding the speech rights of public employees at all. It's about five justices constitutionalizing their disdain for the right of working people to come together to speak with a unified and strong voice. So is this like the ant the opposite of Citizens United that said corporations have the right to free speech? And now this 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 is saying unions don't have the right to it? Well, it's it's saying that Or their um, member their members member, he was arguing that by having mandatory fees, it was a violation of his free speech. And he, he made the connection by saying, they're using the fees that I pay them to right. support political candidates that I don't personally agree with. So that's a violation of my First Amendment rights. So then, therefore, taxes are a violation of my First right. Amendment rights. The court rights. simply right? just agreed. And, it, and right? that's like I can yeah. make that argument now. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. that what now? Like, I always joke that I pretend yeah. all my money goes to the libraries. Yeah. When I pay taxes. I mean, so now I'm being a I'm being oppressed. Well, I mean, but is that it's is, a compulsory. Did we just open up this fucking I think we did. I think we did. Because think about it. Taxes are compulsory in this right. country. Is that what just happened? OK, I don't know. You so, we don't need to answer that. Right. So thinking. essentially, this is this is about a lot of different First Amendment issues that was 
basically settled law. <laughs> and now it's, it is, it has opened the floodgates too. And I, and I don't want to catastrophize. I'm just saying it's very possible. And if you go to SCOTUS blog, there are people who are sort of center, sort of, sort of center right, sort of center left. And you can see their somewhat bias in how they're presenting it. But nobody really has any idea the impact this is going to have because we are living through, now we have this decision and now we have to live through whatever the effect, the impact is going to be because you know there are going to be cases. And think about the idea of compulsory fees. Okay, now you've got the bar charging compulsory fees. You've got student activity fees. You've got technology. You've got, there. if you just even think about from that perspective, this goes way beyond just unions. But to bring it back, circle back to the unions, this potentially could hurt collective bargaining. I think most of the unions that I looked at, that we just like reviewed, are focused on just bolstering membership and, and showing solidarity and all of us standing together. But, you know, in, in practical ways, I really, I don't know what's going to happen. It's something it that goes... It sounds like we now as, an, as, a union, as unions need to make an even clearer case of why individuals should participate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the membership committees, the the people doing the organizing work. Even Justice Kagan cited in her dissent, the decision to overrule Abood cannot be defended in terms of First Amendment analysis. Rather, it is nothing more than a political decision that, quote, this is from her dis- dissent, prevents the American people acting through their state and local officials from making in- important choices about workplace governance. I don't know what next. I would say if you are in a union shout your union membership, Be show that you're a proud union member, talk to other people, talk to other union members about why you are in the union and what it does for you, and talk to those people who are used to be called fair share that are now just freeloading, talk to them, maybe in a sympathetic way, saying, look, I understand, but here's all the long-term benefits. I mean, you know, your entire salary benefits package, the structure of your workplace is designed by years of collective bargaining and maybe, you know, supporting that if you want to continue having the kind of workplace that you have, it would be good to support that. But, you know, you're always going to have your force. Remember, we talked to Chris Mm -hmm, Ayala about mm -hmm. that, Um, you know, the organizing strategies, you got your ones, your twos, your threes, and your fours. So we're ones, right? You and I are ones. We're in, we're all in, we'll stand up for it. Then you got your twos, they're members, but maybe not so vocal, but they're on board. Then your threes, they might be members, but they're skeptical. They're the ones that say, well, what are my union dues going for? I don't know. And they're the ones, you know, creating headaches. And they're persuadable, but it's going to be a hard sell. And then you have your fours. I feel like the fours are the are probably mostly the former fair share members who they're not going to be in the union no matter what you do. But you know, it's so it's worth uh, talking to your fellow union members about why it's important for us to all stand together and hope that the you know the freeloaders stop being freeloaders freeloaders but who knows and see the benefit to their own individual welfare oh yeah it's not like they're not getting anything you can't get much more direct than the reason you have the salary that you do the reason that you have the workplace environment that you do the reason why you have the benefits all the benefits that you do is because the union negotiated them for you if they wouldn't have negotiated those on your own exactly management does not have our best interests at heart they just don't they are they want to save money that is the definition (laughs) of management (laughs) they want to they want to create a better bottom line they they want the cheapest possible workers so yes and there are even in our 
sort of quote industry. There are universities that are primarily staffed by non-unionized adjuncts, exactly, and contingent are, faculty, and they are making nothing, right. and they are working to death. Yeah, it's easy to kick back, I'm sure, and say, "Well, I'm just going to save that, you know, twenty dollars a month." I mean, really? Would on you? Who's back? On, <laughs> on whose back is that? You know? So I'm. As you can tell, I'm kind of frustrated and a little angry right now because I, I didn't, I'm not a real fan of the, the freeloaders anyway. And now I know we're supposed to sort of embrace them. It's easier to freeload, it sounds like. Yeah, it's much easier to freeload because now people have to opt in instead yeah. of opting out. They have to choose to jo- join the union. They have to choose it instead of having it, you know, they're, they're fi- they, there is no fair share fee basically now. So I will end my part by saying I opt in, always have, always will. I would imagine you will always opt in. I will always opt in as well. Although, you know, you mentioned the um, the videos. Mm-hmm. I did a video for that. And at the time it was I was first hired. I had never been in a union prior to that. And my family is not only not in unions, they're anti-union. <laughs> and so my experience and understanding of unions was extremely limited. But I have since learned, and now that I've been a leader in our union, I appreciate m- much more intimately <laughs> the work uh, that is done on behalf of all of our bargaining unit members. And it it disappoints me to no end that there are people who think that it's okay to get all that for free. Yep. It's Agreed. just, it's wrong. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for helping us understand that. Yeah, I tried. You did great. Time for Trumpster, Trumpster Fire. Fire. Colleen. Oh, Amanda. Have you heard about Trump's new executive order? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one of the like hundred? I don't know how many there are now. Which one? Uh, the one with the big signature. <laughs> the one at the end of July that established mm. the National Council of the American Worker. <laughs> the executive order that he signed at the end of July. Now remember, this is buried. Remember, this is like you, you call it whack-a-mole. Yeah. There's always the, the like this catastrophe. This what did he do now? What did he do? I think this got buried. I literally have never heard about this. I was and actually, I pay attention. I know, and I was looking to see how many news outlets had actually covered this, and actually not many have. And I'm thinking, is this? by design or have they sort of missed this too because ev- because everything else what is it do i want to know so okay so here we go so it's the national he just established the national council of the american worker headed up by his daughter ivanka oh stop it oh yes stop it now, thank god she got rid of her shoe business yes now she can really focus on this yes she can on the surface i will say that this actually seems like a good idea The order is for this council to create training, retraining, reskilling, and innovative education for American workers. Mm -hmm. So So for all those coal workers (laughs) that he spoke to. Again, I want to say, like, on the surface, it seems like a good idea. So companies like Walmart, Home Depot, General Motors, IBM, FedEx, Microsoft, and others have signed on, have signed this pledge to America's worker. He, he asked them to sign, and they have signed and agreed to create new jobs. And yeah. it looks like it's going to be like 3.7, 3.8 million jobs total. Lockheed Martin alone pledged to create 8,000 apprenticeship opportunities and invest $5 million in 
vocational and trade programs over the next five years. That's according to the Washington Business Journal. So that's good. I mean, right? that, it no, sounds, those are good things as long as they're well-paying jobs. So I just want to acknowledge that it certainly sounds on the surface like a good idea. But there are several flies. I was say, might, might this be the most uplifting Trump's fire? But here's where no. the shoe drops. Okay, so here's here's where we'll see how this plays out. But these are here are several flies in this snake oil. I think. Beautiful Num- metaphor. Thank you. Number one, the Hill, uh, the mm-hmm. publication, the Hill points out that quote, this administration has pursued policies that hinder our legal Im- our legal immigration system artificially restricting the pool of available labor and unnecessarily slowing the economic success that we've experienced to date. So Mm -hmm. they were sort of arguing that we need to fix our legal immigration system and make it less problematic, less hard, you know, make it easier for skilled international workers, you know, in technology and whatever industries to come. So this, so the crisis has been manufactured and now here's how we're going to fix the manufactured crisis. Right. Right? Yes. Okay. So number two, the Hill also points out that we need to strengthen the education to workforce pipeline. So they were talking about we, we actually need to increase and improve the education system in our country by ensuring uh, that all students, regardless of their background, have access to quality education. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that that's clearly not part of this that it should be. And then... I went to the Chronicle of Higher Education, and one of their writers, Goldie Blumenstick, points out that, quote, even though education is a central pillar of the plan, no college leaders were present at its unveiling, nor Mm. were any invited to provide input, as far as anybody can tell. Uh, The administration's views, she writes, of higher education seem predominantly focused on its role as a force for training and reskilling. As mm-hmm. opposed to like the innovative education aspect, or um, developing snowflakes, as our beautiful attorney general claimed yesterday. We all need to decide for ourselves, like the potential for this new council. But just remember that the order names twelve people to the council, and one of those people is named as the director of the Office of Science and Technology. So let's remember that in eighteen months that Trump has been in office, he has yet to nominate anyone to that post. Again, surface, sure, sounds so, great. So, but okay. in so, practical terms, I don't really know that it's going to so do anything. So other than knowing that Ivanka is now, this is on her plate while her husband's supposed to solve the crisis in the Middle East, among other things, there is no person in the position that is the head of this organization. Mm-hmm. And there were no educators asked to participate. Were right. there like, vocation, like vocational, was Just it business all business people? people? All business people. And that's so the, the companies that I'm to have business people, right? It so is. they can say, "Here's what we Absolutely. need," but then we also need people who are educators who can be like, "Okay, now here are the best practices. Here's how we all work together to that's deliver right. it." So it's just about the product instead of the process again with this guy, right? So What's that's what called? I mean, one more time. So we the, make sure we hear. Yeah. We, and so when we do see it come up, we pay attention now. The move made, and this is sort of the final point I want to make. It's called the uh, the National Council. Uh, where is it? It's, it's like so cumbersome. I'm sure that it doesn't even have a website I know. yet. It's called the National Council of the American Worker. And just one final point. So it seems this council seems to be pro-worker, right? Mm. But mm-hmm. Trump's personal SCOTUS justice, Neil Gorsuch, and the other GOP justices just undermined American workers with their Janus decision. Mm-hmm. So maybe anti-union Trump really wants more Americans working 
just at lower wages with no benefits and at the mercy of their bosses. So Trump's all about MAGA and the American worker, right? Mm -hmm. So why didn't the Trump organization sign his own pledge to American workers? His own organization didn't sign it. Excellent point, Amanda. Let's ask him. Snake oil. With flies. With flies. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hey, Inside 254 listeners. Do you know why we started this podcast? Real talk. To help you process and survive the daily barrage of bad news in the Trump era. Are you worried about the loss of women's rights to our own bodies? Are you angry about the cruelty of the GOP? Are you anxious about the upcoming November midterm elections? Like us, you feel frustrated, angry, sad, and maybe even a touch of despair as you imagine the end of our democracy. We are in this fight together with you. Empower yourself by joining our community and feel less alone. So instead of buying us a cup of coffee to thank us for the work that we do, contribute a dollar a month to our podcast. Inside 254 helps you think clearly about important issues affecting your family, your job, and your community. We need you in this fight. Become a patron today. If you think for one second that the Capitol will ever treat us fairly, You are lying to yourself because we know who they are and what they do. This is what they do and we must fight back. We dedicate ourselves to collective resistance. Resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers. Resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes, Pressing send is not enough. (laughs) If if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in America there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it, 
then we must work like never before. This episode's fierce woman warrior is... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez won the Democratic primary in New York's 14th congressional district, and she defeated the incumbent Democratic caucus chair Joe Crowley. So this was considered a huge upset, and I wanted to amplify her platform, especially on women's rights and specifically related to labor and labor rights. So if you go to her website, she has a very clearly articulated plan about many issues that you probably care about. Climate change, waging peace, supporting LGBTQIA plus rights. So I just want to amplify what she says about women's rights. And so she talks on her platform a lot about um, being a proponent of labor legislation that reduces the discrimination and exploitation of working women. So this is directly from her clearly articulated platform ideas. She believes we should be creating workforce opportunities for caregivers and parents and stands in opposition to gun laws that allow those convicted of domestic abuse to have firearms and the criminalization of sex work, both of which increase violence against women. She has a really progressive and I think well thought out platform having to deal with women's rights, women in the workplace. I love that she's talking about sex workers and how if we don't legitimize that kind of work, those women are often in danger. Finally, she says in Congress, she will support legislation that promotes caregiving and basic workplace protections, right? This is what we're talking about in this episode, including benefits like paid family leave, access to affordable childcare, sick days, health care, fair pay, vacation time, and healthy work environments that she argues benefit society as a whole. And that's what unions provide and ensure for their workers. So she actually never explicitly talks about unions and labor issues in her platform. What I like is that it's embedded in all the other issues. So instead of making union an issue or labor rights an issue, She's acknowledging that labor rights are a part of every individual issue. So her um, connection and intersections with labor rights and bigger issues, I just love it. It's so progressive. So check out her website, Ocasio2018.com, and look at all of her issues. I mean, we don't get to vote for her, but just the fact that she exists, it's like a unicorn. So (laughs) she is our fierce woman warrior, and she is definitely fierce. If you know a fierce woman warrior who is taking action in her community in some way, please send her name and information to us at inside254podcast at gmail.com or send us a private message through our Facebook page. And we will do the necessary research, reach out to this person, but this is not an interview segment. As you see, this is about amplifying women's advocacy and work in communities. So nominate a Fierce Woman Warrior today. Let's take a time out for a Media Minute. Read the book, No Is Not Enough, Resisting Trump's Shock Politics and Winning the World We Need by Naomi Klein. 
She calls her book a, quote, toolkit to help understand how we arrived at this surreal political moment, how to keep it from getting worse, and how, if we keep our heads, we can flip the script and seize the opportunity to make things a whole lot better in a time of urgent need, end quote. Klein walks you through how we got here, focusing on how Trump became the ultimate superbrand, where we are now in our climate of inequality and insecurity. And she emphasizes the need for anyone who opposes Trump and, quote, other far-right forces like him in the world to, quote, embrace the task of telling a new history of how we ended up here in this perilous moment, a history that compellingly shows the role played by the politics of division and separation. Klein is a Bernie Sanders supporter who spends some time rehashing why he was a better candidate than Clinton, but her book does lay out plainly many of the elements, attitudes, and movements that got us here. The final part of the book investigates how things could get better by showing us other countries who said no to letting fear govern their leaders' decision-making. Klein's book will deepen your understanding of our current moment, and she lays out some actions we can all take to win the world we need. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. We need to shout our union membership. At a time when being a member of a union can seem like a position of marginality, it almost feels like in this day and age, we need to look at other institutions like Shout Your Abortion and see about how talking about how we are proud to be a union member. Maybe even starting, right? Shout your union membership or something like that. We did at our campus a few years ago, a video series where a bunch of professors sat down and did videos talking about what it meant to them to be in the union. And they are really moving and they develop empathy. And perhaps what we all need to do if we are in a union is talk about more what that has meant to us, not just in the workspaces, but in our lives. So if we start to shout our union membership and talk about it and show people that unions aren't all about strikes and that unions are part of a family. I talk in my video about growing up in a UAW family and how being in a union connects me to my father, who is, you know, a working class man. What we need to do is we need to show and develop empathy about why union membership matters, because if we don't do that, we might lose the fight in this very scary time for what labor rights can mean for workspaces. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, And then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.